here it is. The most listened to radio show on the planet. Even the other stations are tuned in too. Hi, I'm Chloe Ferreira from Mice Chat, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hi, this is Doug Barnes of the Season Pass Podcast and the Mice Chat Podcast, and you are listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hey, I'm Robert Coker of Super 78 and the Season Pass Podcast, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. This is Dusty Sage with MiceChat.com, and we're here on the Coaster Challenge Podcast. If you're heading off to Disney and don't know where to start, click yourself over to MiceChat and you're out of the time. They take the dizzy out of Disney for you and for me. Head back and face forward because it's Mice Chat Month on the Coaster Challenge Podcast. You're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast, celebrating Mice Chat Month with Dusty Sage, Doug Barnes, Chloe Ferreira, and Robert Coker. It's time to accept the Coaster Challenge with your host, David Cantu and Jenna Gissel. Hey, how's it going, Jenna? Great, Dave. How's it going? It's going good, going good. Happy May 13th. Ooh, countdown for summer. Can't wait. Countdown has begun, but the coaster season has already been underway, and there's just been a lot of activity going on, especially at the Disney parks. Very much so. They've had a lot going on this Gosh, they time got, of year. Well, like Disneyland California, for example, World of Color, Main Street Electrical Parade, Fantasmic, the cartoon characters can now meet and greet with people up front. A lot of things are starting to get back to normal at Disneyland. Oh, don't forget the food and wine festival that they had at California, California Adventure. Adventures yeah. last uh, month. Yeah, that was a lot of fun too. And it, and it was the Chinese New Year of the Tiger. So they figured, <laughs> they figured, you know, and Tigger from Winnie the Pooh was the main highlight of that event this year. But anyway, guys, welcome to another exciting special edition of the Coaster Challenge podcast as we celebrate Mice Chat with Mice Chat Month. Mice Chat is one of the biggest Disney news insider that knows everything about all about Disney, but they also love doing all the other parks like Universal, Cedar Fair, and Six Flags, and SeaWorld as well. This Friday, we actually have got another great guest from Mice Chat. We've got the one and only Doug Barnes. Doug Barnes also does podcasting. He does the Season Pass podcast, which is part of Mice Chat. Andrew is standing by with him, and for this special occasion, knowing that we're celebrating Mice Chat Month here on the Coaster Challenge Podcast, we are, instead of doing the YouTube highlight clip of the week, we are actually doing some highlight clips of our guests. A couple years ago, Doug Barnes actually hosted a panel over at the Midsummer Scream event. It was basically the Haunted Mansion panel featuring Bob Gurr and Tony Baxter, and they had a great conversation. So here is just some of the clip that we have from that conversation. And if you guys like to hear more about it later on, we will have the rest of the link in our show notes. So take a listen. Doug Barnes of the Season Pass Podcast. It was the beginning of my insanity from three year old. <laughs> <laughs> my parents still don't remember that at all. 
father. I called up. I'm like, do you remember that? And they're like, no. But Bob, so let's go ahead and start about the doom buggies a little bit. Uh, did this vehicle actually start with Juan Soto's Adventure Train Space, or did it start with uh, the Haunted Mansion? Everybody thinks the uh, Omnimover and the doom buggy started with the Haunted Mansion. How many of you know it never started in the Haunted Mansion? That was stolen from the um, Voyage to Inner Space, which was two years earlier. But the, uh, the big difference was we found out with the uh, Voyage to Inner Space to have kind of a car that you could snuggle two or three people in. And it was our first time that operations found out a whole new side of guest behavior. <laughs> Work down below the train, and uh, 
uh, so finally when it went into production, of course, I couldn't resist being a riot operator out there and I snuck in. So here's a secret. One of those doors in the corridor of doors, if you look closely, it's got an exit sign on it. That goes outside into the rear of Disneyland. It also is an entry for an employee that's taking his break and going over to sneak into the haunted mansion. <laughs> I remember walking in that door and walking down to the Madame Leota seance, and I just sat there mesmerized until a security guard came by and took me, hauled me back to uh, the other side of the park. <clears throat> anyway, uh, this is kind of interesting, the shot here, because uh, Steve Davidson had uh, come up with the idea of putting a, uh, a Christmas overlay on. And he brought me, I was the head of the park design group there, and he brought me in to show it to me. It was, and it was just the night before Christmas in the Haunted Mansion. And of course, we had this brand new property, but it was a touchstone film, if you remember when it came out. So it wasn't exactly uh, approved for Disneyland. But we were able to uh, add that one word in there, and kind of the rest was history on making the duality of the shows we have in Disneyland and in Tokyo. And so that's, you know, the, and the other thing would be on the, the half-house ghost, if you want to Yeah, keep uh, He was in there for the first week that I wrote it, and I actually had a little card that I found that uh, has proof, if you look on there, you can see number 28, ghost half-house. So it was actually maintained for a while, and about a week, and I, mean, I think a little video showed up of it, but anyway. I thought I was the monomaniac about getting it back into the house, but it turned out Guillermo del Toro is obsessed with that character. So uh, at, one, at one of the Comic-Cons, he announced, I'm going to do this Haunted Mansion movie again, the, the sequel, and I'm going to have it starring the Hatbox Ghost, so we can finally get that. They'll have to put it in the ride. <laughs> and in the years that came on, he actually had one built for his collection, and some friends of mine were able to do that for him, and he did an incredible story where it went up. And then it fell by the wayside. But we at the park decided, you know, enough time has passed, and let's get that guy in there. So uh, the hot box ghost, and I, I, I really think John Gritz did an incredible job of, you know, staging that and everything. It works really, really well. So that was uh, that aspect. And I don't know if you want to go on to. Oh, uh, there's there's plenty of talk. Yeah, we'll bring up Phantom Manor. I just remember the it was a few years ago. Years ago, I remember you let me hold that car. Yeah. <laughs> and and my hands started shaking, and I was like, because I got I started sweating. I was scared that I was going to destroy the car by just sweating on this thing from my holding my with this legendary card. So I had to give it back to you really quick. You know, for me it was the opposite. I was like, I'm not lying. I really did see it there. <laughs> and so I was so thrilled when a really bad movie showed up captured this guy in there, so. Yeah, well, obviously you have been inspired, you've done a few attractions since then that are inspired by the Honda Convention. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was interesting when we went to Paris, uh, we did a lot of research about the Europeans and the French in general, in specific, and it turned out that they got funny, they loved Jeremy Lewis, and they, there's <laughs> a national hero over there. Of course. They also <laughs> love scary, I mean, the Pierre Le Chase, Cemetery. For those of you that love Gothic cemeteries, a must. You must go there before you die. Or go there after you die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll be there. It was found in inspiration for the Opera. Anyway, but they don't get scary funny. And that was the weird thing, because Mark favored the very you know, comical things, and Claude Coates, who had ordered a screening of the movie The Haunting by Robert Wise, if you haven't seen it, it's 1961, not the newer one. 
from viewers that uh, they watch that over and over again. You can clearly see the doors and the haunted hallway uh, pulsing and everything. That's from that movie, as is the wallpaper patterns that come to life. Uh, so there was a schism between Mark and Claude. Claude preferring more frightening and, and Mark liking humor. And so when we did Paris, we had the decision to make, are we going to go humorous and keep it pure to that or go scary? And I think we came down a little bit more scary on it and they just redid it. I'm going to pitch something here. This great book just came out three days ago just on Phantom Matter and the redo of the ride is extraordinary. Uh, and they've even strengthened the story. It's real macabre. You watch the ride go from a young, beautiful thing to an aging corpse at the end of the ride. Um, so, yeah, I, three of these are on order. I was hoping I could hold it up for you today, but I just didn't get here in time. But yeah, so it's just been redone. If you haven't seen it in the last year, you haven't seen it. Right on. Well, I all right, so Andrew is standing by with the one and only Doug Barnes from Mice Chat and Season Pass Podcast. Going to be a great interview, guys. So take it away, Andrew. Thank you, David and Jenna. This is Andrew Locke, one of the producers of the Coaster Challenge Podcast with you today. Today, I have a very special guest. I'd like to welcome to the Coaster Challenge Podcast, the creator of the Season Pass Podcast, one of the oldest an original theme park podcast and coaster podcast, as well as the co-host of the Mice Chat podcast. Welcome to Coaster Challenge Podcast, Doug Barnes. Awesome. Thank you for having me here. It's uh, great, great to be here with you guys. It's awesome to have you. And you and I, have we've talked, you know, on, on uh, social media and whatnot over the years. I've been a big yeah. fan of uh, the work that you do on Season Pass and, and Mice Chat. In fact, I am a huge podcast consumer and now I'm getting more and more into actually creating content. I produce two different theme park coaster podcasts. I started with podcasts about four years ago uh, and my very first two, the very first podcast I started listening to was Mice Chat. And then because of season pass, season pass is part of the Mice Chat family, yeah. I was the season pass started, you know, right there after that. And right so I've been listening to you guys longer than any anyone else. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. And actually speaking of which, so kind of maybe jump ahead a little bit, but to start with, why don't you tell our audience about yourself, your experience within the theme park industry, covering it, et cetera. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Th again, thank you so much for having me here. Really, like you said, I started a podcast back in 2007 called the Season Pass. It was a theme park podcast. It's just because, to be honest, it started because I was doing home flipping and doing real estate and everything. Market fell apart in 2006, 2007, went into kind of a uh, kind of a depression. The only thing I could think of that can keep me excited and happy was theme parks. And so I found out about this thing called podcasting. I've always been kind of a fan of talk radio. I used to go over to UC Davis on their independent station and do heavy metal shows with them every once in a while and knew I liked being on radio. So I was like, let's try this podcast thing out let's see how this goes and i'll talk about theme parks because there was only like a couple of theme park podcasts at that time i think it was coaster radio and in the loop where the right. were like really the only two that we knew of and both of them weren't really happening at that time i know that coaster radio stopped their operation and we're done so they came they ended up coming back in later on but the, uh, you know during that time i felt like okay so there's a void there. I was just going to talk about just theme park news and just get into kind of the stories behind some of the attractions. Then this guy, Brent Young, who's the owner and creator of uh, Super 78, which is a 
studio that creates media for theme park rides all around the world. Contacted me pretty early, liked my podcast, got involved with it. And we turned into what was just a theme park podcast into really the archive designers and creators and managers and everything that deals with the amusement industry, theme park industry, themed entertainment industry all over the world. We were doing it for years, ended up meeting up with Dusty Sage, a mice chat about 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, and start, started a podcast with him for mice chat and kept on doing it. And I wish I could fill in all the stuff, but I can't. It's been so many things. There's been so many things that have happened over this time. We're now going 14 years outside of 2020. We've been having a pretty, pretty good run at being able to do it. And I've gone on to speak at a um, full conventions and stuff like that for panels and things like that. And cut it short, say I've been just talking roller coasters and theme parks for a very long time. I guess to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, I feel like to your point, like you've, you've I know you've uh, also kind of held up, headed up some panels at Midsummer Night Scream and some other conventions and events like that. And, and I believe, weren't you on, or haven't you been on like one of those USA Today polls like with Arthur Levine and all that, where you vote on coasters, right? Yeah, I'm one of the, what they call the the experts. Uh, so they got a theme park expert where they have a few people that they put in use. We're the ones that go and submit what's the best roller coasters, best theme parks, best water parks, all that stuff. And so what they do is all of us that come in, we, we bring in the expert, our expertise, and then they pick out all the best from our, our selections. Then they put them up on the polls and everybody else gets to select from them. So uh, I've been doing that for five years now. That's awesome. How did you come to start doing that, by the way? It's because of Arthur. You know, we're good, good friends. Arthur Levine and I have become really good friends over the last decade doing that. He's 2008, actually, is when I first met him and, and have him on the show and stuff. And he really liked the podcast and uh, we've gotten to see each other over time on all kinds of media events and everything like that. He has just become a good friend of mine. I'm imagine. let me also say, I, I think it's him. That's the reason why I'm there. What <laughs> makes sense. USA yeah. Today is the ones that contacted me, but I figured it was Arthur because he works with them. So Right. He's kind of a tour de force with them. And yeah. I'm familiar with him most principally. Again, I, I listen to all sorts of podcasts, not just theme park podcasts. I'm, I'm one of those people that, yeah, I'm a coaster enthusiast, theme park enthusiast, but I, I'm well-rounded. I have lots of other interests. So when I listen to podcasts for those other interests, like cars, Tesla, especially these days, and, yeah. and you know, movies and technology and things like that. But yeah, so I mean, certainly I do listen to this, a number of theme park and coaster podcast. I mentioned, of course, the pod, two podcasts you're part of is already, but also coaster radio. Uh, have yeah. this in the loop at times as well. And that you guys, like you, to your point, are the, the original three, kind of starting back in the early 2000s. And like you said, Coaster Radio, they went away for a while and they came back and they've really come back in force. They've really yeah. done well for themselves. Doing, and they've been so consistent too. Over yes. It was amazing. There was a time when they came back in and then, then the loop started coming back in. We were doing it. So we had this kind of three little, it was a friendly rivalry, but we were definitely <laughs> trying to push who could be the best at this moment because the podcasting was still a fairly new thing. Right. Right. We were all doing it for quite a while. We were just like, let's just keep on pushing ourselves. And we had all kinds of fun with each other all the time, guest spotting on each other's shows. It was it was a good, good time. But they've they've really kind of pushed it. They kept on going and they've been so consistent. I'm just really, really proud of what they've been able to do, making sure that this industry keeps going. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Mike and EB are doing a great job. I think for, for those three podcasts we just talked about, uh, and even Mice Chat, you know, you're all very different. You know, Mice Chat very much focuses on Universal and Disney, which is kind of dusty 
Cheese kind of area. And I have a huge respect for that. I love the highly themed parks like that. And Mike's Chat does so much great work and great uh, events that I've been a part of in Southern California with Knott's as well and Disney and so forth. Uh, whereas Coaster Radio is kind of a news podcast. They occasionally have guests on, which is what I was getting like at. Morning radio to me, right? Don't you think yeah. Like morning radio in a way, it's morning like a, yeah. radio in a way, but they do, they, it's, it's, they're excited. And it's really, they, they are able to focus really on the parks and it's them. They're the show. Yeah. That's what makes it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. They do, it's like you said, it's a, it's a great news podcast I and mean, they make it fun and they do game shows. It's kind of a, a kind of a lighter hearted sort of fun thing the characters they do and then they have Arthur on every year so they do have some guests Arthur being a recurring one and that's how I've kind of really gotten to know of him through mm-hmm. Coaster Radio I always look forward to his overview and what he has to say about the upcoming attractions and coasters then there's your podcast which is very heavy into the narrative with the interviews and getting deep dives into these, like you were saying in the beginning, these designers, Imagineers, some of the amazing Imagineers you've had in the show, and just these really in-depth interviews where, you know, you, Bob Coker, and and Brent, you know, you get into these really in-depth interviews. And in that way, you're similar to us in that we are all about doing interviews and kind of very different format, of course, different different mission. So you guys, like you said, you, you can joke and play with each other and compete with each other, but you are all very different from each other, which is good. You know, yeah. it's not, not a me too thing. All right, well, great. Well, thanks for the overview. And I'm sure we'll probably talk about some of the things that you've done with the, with the uh, podcast you've been involved with or still involved with as we talk through here. But before we get into more of that, let's get into like a little bit of a deep dive into you as a coaster enthusiast. Mm. We get into the, the theme park time machine here. We like to start off with what was your first coaster you ever wrote years and years ago? Okay. So here's the thing. I, I feel like over history, I've been recorded on saying what my first coaster is over and over. And I think I kept on messing up back and forth. I'm not sure. I can't remember. Uh-huh. I can't pinpoint. I believe it's Willard's Wizard from uh, Great America. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, in, in Santa Clara. I believe that was my very first one. It might have been Matterhorn at Disneyland. This 42-year-old brain is starting to get a little off. And I, <laughs> I believe it's Willard's Wizard was my very first uh, roller coaster ever, though. I'm going to. Yeah. And that's the I, I've been in that. I, I went to Great America for the first time back in 2017. And that's the Schwarzkopf, right? With the nope. with the helix lift, the elevator. Nope, the, sort the, of. the motorized cars that go up the, the helix lift. Yeah. So. Right. Uh, that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, that's a that's a very neat coaster. I enjoyed riding that, riding a piece of history as we often do with some of these older coasters. It was either that you said, or the other one you mentioned was uh, was, was the Matterhorn. Matterhorn at Disneyland. It, 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 we're talking about this is like 1985, so it's you know right one of those two. And I know that they were very close to each other. I just can't remember what was first, but I know that uh, Willard's Wizard was really kind of made me excited about coasters. You know. Tame oh yeah and Matterhorn made me realize that I could still be scared of coasters at the- <laughs> <laughs> well those are both historic coasters you know a huge part of coaster history and very unique coasters as well mm-hmm. so yeah those are those are both those would be a great first coasters for sure and yeah definitely I get the, the scary factor of uh, the Matterhorn and actually that's a good segue so speaking of being scared of a coaster from those first couple coasters might be one of those to the, what I'm guessing hundreds of coasters you've been on to this point right yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hundreds. Yeah. So any whatever it may be, what any of those hundreds of coasters between those first ones back in the mid 80s to now, which of those coasters before getting on it scared you the most? There's two coasters in my history that I could I could say that uh, Demon at Great America was the was the one back in 1988 that when I was terrified of it, it took me three years before I finally got on that thing. Oh, wow. 
demon scared the hell out of me as a kid. I felt like I finally conquered my fears after that one. But I noticed even after writing that, I realized as a roller coaster rider, as a, as a child, I was still scared of the drops. Like the big drop, right? Drop. I they, you brought an uncomfortable feeling to my stomach every single time I went. You know, they call it the butterflies, whatever it is. Right. I, I had a hard, hard time with that feeling, and that feeling terrified me. And the demon gave it to me so, so much. And so that was that to me was the was my most terrifying one. Like it took me a long, long time to get over my fears to get on that. But I was still kind of scared of it even after that, and scared of all other coasters until really 1994 when mm. I rode Viper. Six Flags, Magic Mountain. And I was terrified, really, really terrified of that one because that drop was almost 200 feet tall. That thing was going to do some kind of crazy stuff to my stomach. I was absolutely terrified of that ride, but I wanted to ride it. And I was with a bunch of friends. They all wanted to get on it. It took a lot for me at that time to get on it. But that is also the coaster that did truly break all my fears on coasters. Because after I rode that one, then all of a sudden it was, I was free. I was loose. I was able to just jump on it, whatever coaster from that point on, because whatever was holding me back that was I was scared of with demon viper really kind of broke it shattered it by that point everything after that's just been gravy I just love it now interesting interesting so let's, let's kind of deep dive a little bit into this so first of all on the demon side of things it's been a while it's been four years since my, I've been to great America in Chicago it's been even longer we were talking about this before we started recording here today since I've been to great America in California that used to be one of my home parks when mm-hmm. I lived in the Bay Area years ago yeah and as I recall I know that, that there's there's demons at both parks. And I think they're the same arrow coaster with the caves and the, the multiple yep. loops, right? Yep. So those are kind of, those were early arrow loopers, I think built in the early eighties, as I recall. Uh, yeah. Late seventies. They, they were actually known as turn of the world or whatever it was called. And it was just the two loops. And then it had two camelbacks and then they replaced the two camelbacks with the corkscrew. Right. Like, later. And they made it the demon for both. Right. And then, okay. I see. And then a number of years later, almost 10 years later, 94, Riding Viper, and that's a a classic Arrow Mega Looper. Yeah, you know, over 100 feet tall. Yeah, and there were so many of those built. Several of those are not there anymore. Yeah. Vortex at Kings Island, a Great American Scream Machine, Six Flags Great Adventure, a lot of Six Flags parks, Adam, and so forth. And so you were what, what, 16 or so, 17? So uh, for Viper, I was 16 when I when I rode that. So okay, and you were there with kids from like friends from high school. Yeah, I was there actually on a marching band trip after I was in marching band in high school. Every year we do Disneyland and march down Main Street Oh, uh, nice! as a marching band. But we also would always hit Magic Mountain that my freshman year finally got into Magic Mountain and finally faced my fear. If, if I think if I was there just with my family or whatever, I would have been like, yeah, I don't need to go on it. But since I was there with all my marching band friends and everything, it was like, you have to do this. You don't have it. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's interesting. You and I have very parallel stories. The co- Coaster that kind of I broke all my fear on where I've really not been afraid of anything since. It's also where I felt like I became a coaster enthusiast. I was 17 years old at Great Adventure. This is back in 92. I'm a, a few years older than you. And it was on Great American Screen Machine. And it was my there for a senior trip from high school. And all my friends, you know, it was right there towards the front of the park. They like the first thing they wanted to go on was that. And they were, for, you know, forcing me, quote unquote, to go on it, peer pressure. And I was, I was so scared, so scared. And I got on it. And, and, and as I was, as I went through that first loop and I'm like, oh, this isn't so bad. I'm like, and then it went to, oh my God, this is so much fun. And then getting off the ride. 
I said to my friends, take me to all the coasters, yep. not just the runaway train, got Rolling Thunder, because I'd been on those before as non-looping. Take me to yeah. all the loop, looping ones, lightning loops and all these classics that aren't there anymore. And, and I, I was born as a coaster enthusiast. So let's talk, speaking you know, kind of along those lines, your kind of experience, how similar, let's see how similar it was. So you were there with a the marching band. You've got that peer pressure going on. So as you were online for Viper, and Vipers are, you know, again, it's hall coaster. It's up on the kind of a hill there. Yep. Uh, so even today, you know, X2 is right next to it. X2 is taller as a coaster. It's you know, basically 200 feet. Still, Vipers kind of sticks out, looks very tall on yeah. that kind of hill at the edge of the park. So what was going through your mind and these conversations you were having with your friends? What was going on with kind of dealing with your fear leading up to getting on it? I was excited about it because I, I was going to do it. I wanted to remain excited, but I actually stayed pretty quiet the whole time. I kind of just made sure that I kind of kept my composure, just wanted to make sure that I was staying in conversation with the, with my friends, but I don't remember anything that we talked about. I think I was so focused on just like, you know, you're going to do this. You're going to get on this ride. You're going to do this. Literally sweating before getting on that ride. And of course we get the back seat too, which is, I, I didn't plan on that, but I was, we all got the last four rows. I was in the back car just, and then once they put those harnesses down, it was like, all right, my heart was pounding. Definitely was like, all right, you're in it. You, there's nothing you can do now. This is, you're just, you got to go with it. And as we were going up that hill, I just kept on thinking, this isn't going to be as bad as that. I just kept on telling myself, this is not going to be as bad as you think. It's not as bad. Because I was only really scared about the first drop. I didn't care about loops or anything like that. It was okay, just, right. that first drop. And after we hit that first drop, and it was just like, it was magic. It, I felt just exhilaration. It wasn't anything torturing me. And as soon as right. we that first drop and then went into that first loop, it was solid. From that point on, it was just pure joy. Interesting. Interesting. Kind of in line, getting on, secured in with the over-the-shoulder restraints, going up the lift hill, kind all through those sort of time periods, you were sort of talking to yourself internally, convincing yourself it's going to be okay. 100%. And that was keeping you calm yeah. in a way. Yeah. It, right. It, I mean, it, we all are having panic deep inside. Right. Uh, in that scenario, I think you are, but it's just like, you don't have to make it as hard as fear that it is. Right. That's what I was thinking is that it's not as bad. It's, it, you yeah. Know. You're literally, yeah. I mean, anxiety and fear, they're basically the same thing. That anxiety you're, you're potentially feeling there is, you know, we get, we, in an anxiety spiral, we automatically kind of go to the worst possible outcome. That's what we yeah. focus on. That's kind of one of the awful things about human psychology is this one of our limitations. What you were doing is combating that. Yeah. Which now to do it on a coaster, you can do it before a test, before an interview. We all we we're, we have anxiety in our lives. Mm -hmm. One of our previous guests, actually a good friend of ours, he talks about how fear is a failure of imagination. It's you're automatically thinking that the worst outcome, you're not thinking about what else can happen or what you can do to kind of keep yourself calm. So I like, I like your approach. It's a very valid approach that makes a lot of sense. And it's good for people to use in any situation as we try to help our listeners go through, again, not necessarily coasters, but any number of things in life. So I like that a lot. You were afraid of the, of the drop and you made it through that first drop and it was smooth sailing from there. Yeah. What about when you got off of Viper that first time? How were you feeling? Uh, 100% exhilarated. Just that's and like you were saying that you became a uh, coaster fan immediately after a great American screen machine. Uh, it's the same for me. As soon as Vi Viper, I was always a fan. I loved theme parks always as a kid. Went to theme parks, loved them. I became a diehard coaster fan after riding Viper, that first ride. And it was like, yeah, let's go. Let's go to Batman. Let's go do all the rides. Let's do every single coaster here. I'm ready. Okay, right, right. Makes sense. Makes sense. 
obviously conquering your fears with Viper allowed you to kind of really become a coaster enthusiast, enjoy all these other coasters. Mm -hmm. Did conquering that, that fear have any other impacts on your life either or right then and there or later? Yeah. Well, it, it definitely made my hobby a lot more expensive now because it became, <laughs> it became my main hobby. So anytime that I could, we could go anywhere, it was going to a theme park, even though back then in the late mid 90s late 90s it was still way cheaper back then than now i just i was hooked i it did it became it is kind of like a drug once you get into it like it is something that you desire that you need after a while and if you if, if you go like an off season when the next season begins like you're looking at march and you're like okay parks are opening this march or april you are just like within the first couple of weeks that they're open you're there i, I have to be there because i need that fix yeah it's all about it's, i i have i gained it i definitely gained an addiction and i would say that it also made me it did lessen my fear on just just basic i would say speed of life sometimes things come at you really really quick it's just uh, for me it's all the time three i have three boys it, it, <laughs> life is coming always quick i i feel like <laughs> being able to overcome coasters and and you know being able to go go through everything that they're throwing at so quickly at you i think that's actually helped me understand and how to think fast or how to go with the flow with that or whenever something's happening. Interesting. Interesting. So it's helped you in kind of other ways, kind of dealing with things where in life where you don't have a lot of time to prepare for something or something happens kind of suddenly. Oh, yeah. Something always happens suddenly uh, throughout life. I right. would say it always happens to me at least a couple of times a month. Something just happens. I'm like, oh, okay. And you got to just adjust and, and work with it. And I think that, um, I mean, I, I don't know if this is what it's from, but it feels like that ever since getting really into roller coasters, I've been able to to deal with that a whole lot easier than what I was when I was younger. Interesting. I, that, I don't, that's that, that I, I hear what you're saying and I can, I can understand that. I think you're probably the first person and that's not a bad thing that we've interviewed that kind of shared that side of things where that helped them in that way. But what I'm thinking, I'm wondering if, cause coasters, they're, they're pretty fast. I mean, so, especially the modern ones, they're really fast. They're throwing a lot out you at you pretty quickly and the adrenaline, all that kicking in. So perhaps coasters are training you and training us in general to be able to deal with things in a more rapid fashion yeah. and be able to handle it. Maybe just a theory. Never even yeah. thought about it until you asked me the question. But then that's the first thing that came to mind is that uh, I, I used to be really timid and take forever on everything. As I grown up, I've been able to really deal with a whole lot much quicker and just deal with things when they happen. And I don't know, it came I, I'm now. I'm thinking it came around the same time as I really got into coasters and conquered that fear. Could be, could be not. Maybe I'm just BSing right now, but I, <laughs> I, I am. I, I kind of think so. I think, I think now ever since then, yeah, I, I think it has, helps you deal with things when things are thrown at you suddenly. Makes sense. Definitely makes sense. And that's whatever the reason, it's a positive thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. It, yeah. It's helped you, helped you in your life. So we talked about the fear and it sounds like fears conquering that fear has helped you in other ways. So just kind of taking a step a little further back with theme parks, with coasters, being being involved in the industry, all this put together, has there been any other significant impacts, positive impacts on your life being involved with all of this? Well, yeah, I mean, just the the podcast alone doing that, I mean, just the fact that I've been able to meet so many people around uh, around the world that have designed these and created these, it, it just, it, the real positive is that every single time I go to a park or see a, even just any structure, it's not that structure, there's people behind it. And so, so I, everything that I see now, I, I see it as this is, this is, this is human built. This is something people thought of this. This is, I can't help but keep, that's always in my mind is always who are the people, what were the people thinking behind this? Because there's, there's always such 
a manic genius behind every single one of these structures. And I just, I am happy to experience something that somebody, all their time, effort, love, and everything into. And I'm walking off of it saying that was worth everything. I always heard from designers saying if they, if, if they can make somebody happy coming off their attraction, that it's, then it's worth it. Well, I am telling you, man, so many people, I feel like I'm thrilled with so many people and what they've been able to do. I, I have a real joy and happiness for people overall every single time that I go on one of these rides or anything. Some some rides, maybe not so much. Maybe there's some rides out there when I walk up, I'm like, <laughs> what, what were they thinking? <laughs> Right. <laughs> for the most part, it's, I always, every single time I see the ride, I see that you can see the big sign or whatever. I get it. It's a ride. There's a structure there, but there's people behind it. Always in my mind, every single time for every single attraction, everything that I do, I always think about that there's people behind it and they're good people for the most part. I know you've been on a lot of coasters. What have been your craziest moments or what was your craziest moment? The number one on a coaster ever. Okay. So back in 2011, we did a big cross country tour where we hit 11 or 13 parts. I can't, it's an odd number. It was either 11 or 13. I took the whole family. We kept on hitting all these parks. It is, we called it the wheels on I-80 tour. So we hit mainly all those tours, uh, all those parks up over by the I-80 area, the north part of the United States. We ended up going to uh, Six Flags, Great Adventure. I went on to Nitro with my wife and my sister-in-law. The rest of the family was waiting for us because it was, we had to do the the right, because we, we had our kids. So we had a few our rides child on. Yeah, do the child swap. So everything. So it was the three of us getting on after the child swap. And so everybody else was waiting down below at the break run right at the end before you do the camelbacks, the hills right at the end. It just stopped us. All of a sudden, we just heard an alarm going off. And then I looked to my right and you could see just lightning coming down. Oh, maybe a couple miles away. But as we were sitting there and we just kept on sitting there, it just kept on getting closer. Oh, the lightning was actually getting closer to us. And I was just like, this is absolutely terrifying. Please, somebody get up here now. Yeah. And we sat there for about 35 minutes on this. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was insane. And then finally, we had somebody come up on the spiral staircase and they manually undid our uh, restraints and we went down the spiral staircase and we had the whole train load go down and that spiral staircase felt like it would have tipped over with like three people. Oh, oh my gosh terrifying going down this thing i was thinking my gosh my kids are gonna where this thing's gonna come up my kids are gonna lose their mom and dad because of a lightning storm here and uh nitro and all ended up working out you know fine obviously they're safe and everything but it was it was that was the craziest moment i've ever experienced on a coaster where the ride shuts down we're just sitting in the break run 35 minutes lightning coming at us we have to get off manually take out the restraints and, and then walk down this spiral staircase that was even more terrifying than the uh than the lightning wow that that's unique i mean so for this question when we asked it of our guests there's generally two categories that are common for this question one is an evac and the other is a rollback now yeah. with either of those it's something that as enthusiasts we look forward to you evac but here this is terrifying you got a storm you could get hit by lightning you know you can't get out of those restraints because that's the point that's why the restraints are there yeah. did you ever find out did it stop because of the lightning storm as it, a precaution why we were sitting up there we noticed that all the roller coasters in the entire park because it was still high enough that we could see everything was shut down. Everything shut down. So we could see Batman uh, up on its lift, stuck on its lift hill. And you could see uh, just none of the other coasters were running at all. So it com- went on complete shutdown because of the thunderstorm that was coming in. Yeah, you would think that, unless it was, it's just like it was a power failure, it was just 
an emergency. You would think that they would let, they would want the train, whatever trains on the tracks, get through back yeah. in the station, covered, safe, yeah. and not stop them on a, on a mid-course brake yeah. run or, or an ending brake run. Yeah, you would think it definitely did not work out that way. It was stop them right at their moments, get an operator up there to get them off. Wow. That, well, I'm glad that between the lightning, you guys were okay, and the spiral staircase were okay. Thanks for sharing that story. That's intense. Yeah. So, okay. So, what is your favorite coaster of all time? The Voyage in Holiday World. Nice. My favorite. And then if, if, if I was to go like a uh, nerd on you, to, that's, that is my favorite coaster overall. Favorite steel coaster is pretty much anything that RMC builds right now. That's pretty much my favorite that I've been on. Nice. So, yeah. nice. That's pretty awesome. So on the other end of the spectrum, what is your least favorite coaster? Maybe one that's painful or. <laughs> uh, the Grizzly at Great America, California's Great America. Right. That has to go. It is slow. It's not fun and it hurts a whole lot. Lumbar hates that ride so much. Stepping away from riding the coasters, what have been some of your favorite moments covering the industry as a podcast or maybe some of the favorite people you interviewed? The Imagineers, definitely. Getting to know a lot of the Imagineers. The Tony Baxter ones that we, we've we done uh, were very, very special, especially doing them at his house. Same as Bob Gurr when we done did the shows with Bob Gurr and doing them at his house. These are legends. These are guys that made the industry what it is. I'm a diehard fan of these guys, even since as a child, going to Disneyland. So the chance to be able to sit there with basically a hero of mine and just have them just tell the stories and get to know them and have them become friends is something very, very special. As for other experiences, when we were doing the Thea Awards, the Themed Entertainment Association Awards. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we used to sit in and have a table set up for the Theas and they would come out. We would interview the winners and everything like that. And those were great experiences because it wasn't just about theme parks. It wasn't just about roller coasters. It's these people that are working in some form of themed entertainment. I mean, it could be dealing with our airports, like doing screens for airports or something like that. So we got to know a lot of people just out there, a lot of people from museums and doing things that such a different look on the industry as a whole. I learned a whole lot. I learned to appreciate a lot more than just parks because of those those things. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And uh, yeah, I can relate to those because you've had some of those episodes on in the past four years and we've followed that more recently. And I've enjoyed those. Some very interesting conversations going in different directions. And I know that I have, because of listening to those episodes, some attractions and experience some attractions that I wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, just before we wrap up here, just one question for you, Doug. Besides what we've already talked about here today, any advice that you'd like to give our listeners, give our audience? Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, definitely for anybody out there who wants to experience these things, but always tend to uh, fear a coaster or fear rides in some way or something like that. These experiences are meant ultimately for, for fun. And sometimes it's great to be able to go into a park and just take yourself away 100% from the real world. You're in this park for this experience. Don't worry about anything that's going on out there. This is for you and you alone. And sometimes life in this special world that you don't, that's not real world for you, it's worth taking risks. It's always okay to take a risk and always okay to try out something that is, that you that's the unexpected you know that that's something that's new that you never experienced before usually it does open your eyes and to a whole new joy that you never had before i would always say just take the risks and just take, forget about the real world for that moment when you're there yeah for sure definitely it's great advice and kind of stepping outside your comfort zone you know certainly with the challenges that a lot of people face 
perhaps a lot of our listeners because it's so common. Certainly I faced it, you know, depression, anxiety. Thankfully, I've never gone down this road. I'm very fortunate. I'm I'm so glad I don't really have an addictive personality. But unfortunately, a lot of people turns it becomes you know, alcoholism is kind of coupled with that or drugs and drugs are their escape. Yeah. Well, theme parks you could think of them like a drug in that, you know, the adrenaline rush and they're an escape, but they're a much healthier escape a 100%. because yeah, but I encourage, you know, anyone that's dealing with those types of addictions, you're trying to get away from it, but trying to have that safety net, something to go to, to give yourself a break from life. Theme parks are the way to go. They're much better, much more possible. Anyways, so to finish up here, Doug, and take your time because, you know, you're involved with multiple podcasts and, yeah. and you know, you've got yeah. a lot. So feel free to take your time here to share with our listeners how they can find you, social media, your podcasts, you know, everything, please. Right on. Well, since we were just talking about my chat, I, I do, I produce and co-host my chat podcast there with Dusty. Chloe comes on every once in a while with us too. That is over at mycechat.com. Thank you so much. That, by the way, it's been 10 years since we started that podcast. So, so it's pretty cool that we've reached that milestone there and we should be doing more shows soon. The pandemic really has caused us to slow down a lot on a lot of things. As for the Season Pass podcast, you can go to seasonpasspodcast.com. When you get there, you're going to be like, this website hasn't been updated in a year. It's because I've been working on the new one. It's, I'm really slow. I'm just slow, but you can still find all the links and everything at uh, seasonpasspodcast.com. Whatever updated shows, you can get the links for them. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at the Season Pass, Instagram at the Season Pass, and on Facebook, the Season Pass. So you can find us all there and everything. We have like a YouTube channel from forever ago, but they changed the code on it. And so I don't even know what the name of our code is on a URL for it. So I don't know. It's on there. Just search Season Pass, I guess. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. And both Mice Chat and the Season Pass are available in most podcast apps. Certainly. Yeah, pretty much any aggregator you go on Spotify or, uh, yeah, pretty much anywhere that you get a podcast, you could get a hold of it. Yeah, I, Apple I would podcasts. always think it's your Apple yeah. podcast, like the Apple podcast app, but I don't, the new update that they did on it, I'm not a fan of it at all. It burns out the phones. I would say stay away, move over to Spotify or do something like that until Apple fixes that podcast. Okay. Well, well, Doug, thank you so much. It was great chatting with you. Oh, this has been awesome. Yeah, finally, sort of not in person, but seeing each other here in the Zoom and talking, talking verbally rather than over message has been great. I always enjoy interacting with you and great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew, Dave. Thank you so much, guys. I really do uh, appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Doug. That was a great interview, huh, Jen? Yes, it was. You know, I really want to thank Doug. Thank you for coming on. And you know what? It was just an amazing story. I know exactly what it's like when starting a podcast and I have to say yeah we are just doing the same thing right here with us and we're just putting our love and support but the one thing is loving theme parks loving and and what it does for us is just truly amazing right I I mean we're and we're just the baby we're we're the newbies (laughs) yeah we're the newbies celebrating season two for us here which is really awesome and we've really had an incredible first season well guys we this is our second week celebrating mice chat here on the coaster challenge podcast we've got two more exciting guests coming up to celebrate this event but in the meantime justin how can they find us on social media if you enjoyed today's episode be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast and if you want to see more from us we upload every friday and check us out on facebook instagram twitter youtube 
all at Coaster Challenge. Links in the description. Thank you, Justin. Yes, guys, make sure to hit those subscribe buttons. Make sure to give us a thumbs up and make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast network so that way you can be alert when we get new episodes out every Friday. And also make sure to check out our website and check out our online store at CoasterChallengeUSA.com. We just got some brand new merch in the shop with brand new designs and new colors and all the proceeds. We donate the proceeds to charity at the end of every year to a local charity. So make sure to go check that out. But we've got an exciting episode coming up next week. But until then, this is David Cantu. This is Jenna Gazelle. We'll see you next week right here on the Coaster Challenge Podcast.